This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, so uh, this is a a full-length interview this episode, so uh, Kobe was lucky enough to spend some time with uh, Dee Watkins, the uh, writer of uh, the brand new book, The Wire, The Complete Visual History. Yeah, so Dee Watkins is um, a television writer, so he wrote one episode of uh, We Own the City, the kind of follow-up companion piece to The Wire, Um, and he's written his own books, but he's also... um, interviewed a lot of people for the complete visual history of the wire which is a fantastically gorgeous coffee table book yeah, it's uh, and, it's, and it looks yeah it's absolutely beautiful and for you lucky listeners we are going to be running a competition so you can win a signed version should be signed by d and david simon and if you want to hear more about that do follow us on social media we're at the wire stripped on instagram and twitter when you walk through the garden you gotta watch your back Well I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track When you walk with Jesus He's gonna save your soul Just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole he got the fire and the fury. Well, obviously, we, we're a podcast about The Wire, D. So we have to ask you, have you seen The Wire? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because I did not see The Wire when it was when it aired on HBO. However, mm. however, I feel like I saw The Wire more than most people. <laughs> I felt like I saw. I'm Same. I'm a big, 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 big Wire fan. Um, the the show changed my life in so many different ways. Before I had any affiliation with HBO, any affiliation mm-hmm. with with David Simon and the crew. Um, the, the Wire it's just it 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 opened all types of. Um, it gave me so many different. Um, things to think about in my own existence and my own reality because i was living in baltimore i know these people like i know the real string about i know mr chim farmer i know i grew up with a bunch of boxdales i know mm. the real barlow um stanfield who's really not a stanfield he's a bateman um his big brothers are stanfields he's a bateman like i talked to him on the phone a couple of days ago like i know these people so to have it on air and these people all around the world tapping to these stories was just mind blowing for me and um and I'm, I'm truly honored to now to be a part of that legacy. I mean, let's let's talk a bit about that because it's impressive. I mean, I I tell people, and I think many people have, have had the same experience where the wire and this kind of this new you know, 
was part of the the revolution. You know, it drew the line in the sand between old TV styles and new TV styles. You know, the long form narrative content versus the procedural one episode you've done. It doesn't matter if you miss ten in a season. If you catch five of the other ones, you'll be you'll be happy. But you know, with the wire and this, you know, a lot of the TV shows you see on Netflix now wouldn't work. They they wouldn't work in the they have that long form narrative now, don't they? And they've seen that the wire can carry that through per season over multiple seasons, and that for me is mind blowing in itself. But then also the fundamental stories that it tells in the wire that the drug trade is not is not a fair war. You know, the war on drugs is not fair war. It's, you know, think about rehabilitation rather than uh, incarceration. Um, the school system being the source of where a lot of problems go wrong for people, underprivileged people. And if you can support those people, then, you, then, you're, um, then you're a long way down the line. The journalists, uh, journalism, and their, what they have to show, what, they have to, what their role is in, in the show, uh, sorry, in, in life. You know, that, these kind of lenses really opened my eyes I say lens nicely because it's like a magnifying glass it just showed you exactly what could, what what was going on underneath it and for me that was just like a fundamental okay I see this now but for you it sounds like it was a whole life change you literally you know 180 your life <laughs> and you went down a different route as a result of this yeah because it was an explosion of perspective and that was also mm. something that we didn't have in television before the wire we never had a show key in on the diversity of of thought and then where those different those different perspectives intersect so like um in traditional television or if i can say before the wire cops are cops <laughs> and cops are cops and cops are pretty much only good and only do good things and cops chase yeah. the bad guys and they lock the bad guys up and the only time they meet is when they are arresting a person in the end. We don't even see what happens with court. But in, in, in real life, in real life, some of the bad guys are some of the best people in the world and the best people for the city. And some of the cops are the worst people in the world and the worst people of the city. And they don't mm. just intersect. And um, when it's time to arrest or at the end of the, the investigation, they might bump into each other in the same coffee shop. They might date a mutual woman. Like all of these different, mm. all of these, the way these worlds intertwine was something that a lot of people on television never thought about. And it only, it only could have taken place in Baltimore because it's a, Baltimore is a very unique city. Um, it's, 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 it, it has a population that kind of floats above or around 600,000 people. However, you can move to town tomorrow and potentially be at a party with the mayor next week. Mm. The connection between a transplant or a person from poverty or a person who never thought about being in any type of political arena can pretty much almost trip, fall, and land right next to power. Most places, you got to go... You gotta do. You gotta do a little, uh, a little bootlicking and a little uh, research and kissing up and 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 have some type of status to get close to power. In this city, you may bump into power in the market, and that's what made the wire so special because the people who did, you know, um, if you look at um, Stringer Stringer Bell, who was who was, you know, again based on a guy named named Chen Farmer, um, he's a street guy, but he was this. There's no unique storyline on how he got so tied in with Clay Davis. It was almost instant. 
because mm. <laughs> and nobody and no one questioned it because it almost looked natural. You think, oh, the crooked politician and the crooked whatever, but no. In 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 the real world, you don't walk out of the project tower and then go into business with a uh, a big time politician with a huge huge black legacy without some type of story to build on upon how that connection took place. But in Baltimore, it's natural and it's simple and it kind of works like that. So I think um, just understanding my place, you know, I grew up just like the kids on season four. I'm with the Baltimore City Public Schools, um, the big teacher turnaround, big teacher shortage, um, no foundation of a traditional education and forced with the task of figuring out how to make it up out of that, you know, and still, with that being my, my pedigree and my background, I've still had connections to power. You've come out of the system that we've seen, you know, the boys of summer go through, Dookie, Naaman, uh, Michael, and and Randy. Um, and, you know, the, the end of season four is heartbreaking for, for two of those kids at least, and uncertain for the other two, <laughs> right? Um, so where, where where were you at the end of, you know, that, that year for yourself? What, what were you... What, position were you um if that had been your season four if that would have been if that would have been my season four um it, it would have started it would have started with uh my, my big brother my big brother is telling me that i need to go to school for computers and he, he never said mm. programming he never said building like apps or anything like that he used to just always say that one day the world is going to be ran by computers and i used to be like computers cost like ten thousand. nobody had like nobody has one and he's like no everybody's gonna have them so um you know I, I study hard and um i got accepted into some good universities um and then my brother was murdered um and when he was he was murdered I, initially i didn't go to school i stayed home to, to try to deal with um just the grief and the pain that came with that and then um, I tried to go to school and it was like culture shock because if, we, if we're gonna like compare it to season four, it's that feeling of when those kids went to the restaurant and they never had that kind of, um, that cultural experience when the kids in the classroom had won the test and Colvin took them out to the steakhouse to celebrate and no one wanted to eat or really do anything because it was like a culture shock. That was my experience in college. It was culture shock so I came home and then I went right into the streets like like my brother did. So my, my season four would have ended as um as learning how to be um the next Marlowe is what is how is how my, my season would have ended. So it, it wasn't completely uh, it wasn't optimistic, but I'm fortunate and blessed and lucky enough to make it out of that. I mean the fact that you went to college does set you apart from the trajectory that we we feel, uh, you know, set up for the rest of the kids, or most of the kids uh, in season four. Um, what was that like? What was that kind of uh, process like for yourself? It was, it was- Going to college was, in the first place. So um, to, to, to talk about Baltimore again, just mm. so, you know, people who, who watch the show can, can get a real understanding. Um, Baltimore is extremely segregated. So you can grow up in, in Baltimore city and not have any white peers um, until you are old enough to get a job. So there, there weren't white people on my basketball team. There was no white people, um, you know, to the people who went to church. They didn't go to church with white people. The only white people you would come across would be police officers um, and some teachers and maybe social workers. So you don't have like 
Um, you don't have access to a lot of different cultures. And, and keep in mind, these is, this is the days before social media. There's no Facebook and Instagram and these things, no Twitter. These things don't exist. It's all, it's all um, outside experiences. So I was a person from a hyper black culture that went to um, what you would call a PWI, um, predominantly white institution. And not only was there a cultural difference, um, and what I subscribe to and what I know and, and what I believed in. But then, um, you know, also um, just, again, like thought and like my lens through the world. They didn't see police how I saw police. They didn't see um, the slave trade how I saw the slave trade. They didn't see an American experience how I saw American experience. And it was very difficult for me. And I didn't last long initially yeah. the first time. I went a couple of months and then I dropped out. And I ended up going back to school years later. But I was like, yo, this isn't for me. Let me get away from this. And it, it didn't work out. I mean, it sounds like you, you, what you experienced was an extreme version of what a lot of people I know who went to university, what we call uh, college here <laughs> in the UK, um, went, you know, they, they, it wasn't so much of a culture shock in terms of the cultural makeup of people. Um, now a black guy went to predominantly white um up until well, up until I was like eleven, it was very much a mixed race um, area I lived in, and then went a bit whiter. And then when I went to university, it was back to multicultural again. But we had people, you know, white people who hadn't didn't know any, any black guys or Indian or Pakistani or you know, kind of thing. Um, but it wasn't the it wasn't the cultural shock they were facing. It was more the expectation, the weight of expectation on them it was suddenly like dawning. You know, some of these kids were. The brightest in their school, and they were trained. They were, all the, the whole life was set up to be a doctor. But when they got to university and they didn't have the guardrails around them, um, it, you know things changed. But it sounds like what you're experiencing is like, you know, a super extreme version of that where it's it's a it's a fundamental mind shift, really. Um, and I mean, I can understand. I know people who dropped out for for smaller reasons. I would say I say smaller in quotes and quotes. Um, so I can fully understand where your head is at. I can fully under, you know, empathize with where you were uh, in your life at that point. I was a good enough student to, um, I graduated from, I ended, eventually I graduated from Johns Hopkins University, which is like one of the top schools in America. So I, 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 got, I got into some really, really, really good schools. Like I was, you know, I wasn't a bad, I wasn't a, like a, I wasn't like a, I wasn't a disruptive kid. Um, maybe I, I ran my mouth a little too much, which, serves me well in my career now but you know it wasn't it didn't pay any dividends in the classroom but study really really hard and i, I paid attention i listened I listened to, to, to my elders um so intellectually i could play ball but socially i couldn't because i didn't know that you know i didn't know there was a difference between a a, a a dinner fork and a salad fork i didn't know anything about rock music punk rock music soft rock music i didn't know about hacky sacky like this is all of these things i never heard of there was never in my neighborhood we rode dirt bikes we played basketball we listened to you know like jay-z and nas and and we were we wore baggy clothes we didn't wear like boat shoes and things like that so it's wild looking at looking at culture now um, the way popular culture has just become like everybody's a sneakerhead. Everybody likes this music. Everybody follows this trend. Everybody does that. But back in the day, it was 
it was the world was extremely divided. And if I'm walking on campus with with, with, with braids in my hair and gold teeth, they're looking at mm. me like I'm crazy. Like, yo, what world is this guy's from a different world? And that's that's Literally what, an alien. Yeah, you <laughs> you look like a a, a, a gold tooth alien. So um, <laughs> so um. It was different, but I'm, I'm in a way. I'm kind of happy that we're, we're starting to accept other people's cultures now because it, it, it's better for everybody. Like we have to understand that our, you know, our experience is not the only experience. And I think the show did a great job at, 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 at amplifying that that idea. So tell us what you're doing now, then, D. I'm a very fortunate guy. Uh, my husband, a father. Um, New York Times best-selling author of a few books. Um, Black Boy Smile was number five. This um, the Wire book with uh, with David Simon will be number six. Um, I've ghostwritten books for multiple NBA players. Um, worked on a few television shows and documentaries, including HBO's We Own the City and The Slow Hustle. Um, and currently. It's working on a lot of cool projects now with um, some, some pretty interesting people. Um, one of them is Mike Africa in helping to tell the story of Move, which was the only time in American history where a police department bombed a family and killed six people. And it's called Move, sorry. Yeah, it's a, it's, you want to know the story, there's a documentary called 40 Years of President on HBO. You talked about Black Boy Smile being your fifth book, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on to talk. Uh, can you tell us about that? Because that's available now. That's on that's on Amazon and other good book places. Um, can you tell us about that? D? Black Boy Smile, I think, is an important piece of uh, art because for people listening to this podcast, if 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 you want to do a deep dive of what happens to a character like Michael from season four, a character like Dookie from season four, or or Randy or Naaman. If you want to do a deep dive into their world and the lens they learn masculinity through, then the, the the book gives you that. It gives you a real glimpse of how we are taught to be men, how destructive and violent that can be, and what a person has to do to unlearn some of the toxic traits that we pick up trying to survive in an American city. So it's very, very important to understand that you know, before we judge a person for participating in dangerous or violent acts, we must first acknowledge or understand where it came from. Because if we can get to the root of the problems, then we can do we can we can do great work for the next generation to make sure we're not passing on toxic toxic traits and, and, and things like that. And that and that book I, 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 I try my best to to tackle um that flawed masculinity conversation um in, in hopes of of being a better person and helping the people who who I mentor and who I work with um, become better people as well. And how does that mentoring work? And what kind of results you're seeing? And what kind of you know feedback you're getting from those those systems? So the hard the hardest part is is getting people from our generation. Now I'm talking '80s babies, and you know we're, we're fathers and grandfathers. <laughs> we're, we're fathers and grandfathers now. Yeah, and, um, yeah. some young grandfathers, but we're grandfathers. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> well, I was listening to um, I was listening to the HBO um, The Wire at Twenty podcast and Method Man talking about being a grandfather. I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. I heard your voice in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for sure, and and 
I, I think that it's it's extremely it's extremely important to um for people from my generation, the eighties babies who are fathers, um, you know, to be honest. And that's the hard part to say I wasn't always the toughest person in the world and people hurt my feelings and people made me cry and I've had insecurities and I struggle with them insecurities and I battle with them things and I deserve love and I want love. Um, even if I've done terrible things, I deserve to be loved. I, I want to be loved. I want to love people. I, I want to be honest. And when I'm wrong, I want to yell that I'm wrong and I want to be held accountable. And it's very, very hard in a, in a, in a hyper masculine culture. When you you live in when you grow up in a country where you don't have a trust fund and and you're dealing with racism and the only valuable thing you have outside of whatever money you were able to grind up is resiliency. Resiliency is currency here. So in order to be a full and complete person, a, a man who's able to be vulnerable, you have to sacrifice your greatest currency, which is that resiliency that allows you to say, I'm never wrong. I'm always right. I always win. You got to sacrifice that. And it's dangerous because it's all we have, but it's necessary to go to the next level and fully, fully love and, and be loved. Do, are, are you aware of, um, did you ever watch The West Wing? Yeah, I'm I'm watching the I'm watching I'm watching the West Wing now, so I'm I'm brand new. I'm new to it. Oh wow! How how far through are you? Like three episodes. <laughs> please, <laughs> please no no spoilers. <laughs> we see okay. We see we see we see a few white people. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, spoil things, but there's there's an interesting storyline with Charlie Young and mentoring people. Um, Charlie being the the only predominant black person in the, <laughs> in the whole story. So when 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 you get to those that kind of storyline. Uh, yeah, drop me a line. Yeah, I'm gonna shoot um, you a note. Think, I'm definitely gonna shoot you a yeah. note. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Black Boy Smile, We Own the City, and then we have got the the Wire the Wire retrospective book. I want to talk about We Own the City because it came out earlier this year, 2022. If you listen to it um, after you know after 2022, this is an astonishing like miniseries, right? And astonishing because it's true. Astonishing because as you said before, as you said at the start, prior to the wire, um, you know, the cops were the good guys, the bad guys were the bad guys, and there was no, never, you know, there was that it was that kind of set in stone. Here we have the cops being the worst guys, and for reasons I still don't understand, because there's a scene in, um, sorry spoilers for We're in the City, there's a scene where they're kind of bragging about how much money they're making anyway, and to me, I'm like, that's a decent salary, guys. <laughs> you, without doing the criminal stuff, you're earning a decent wage. But you know how capitalism works. Well, yeah, this you is know how it works. You know how it works. It's never enough. There's no such thing as a decent salary. In their minds, they're owed that, and then they're owed everything on the street, too. Yeah. Predator. So you think about a predator. Think about, um, think about the movie Wall Street, right? Think about Gordon Gecko. You ever see Wall Street? Mm. Yeah, agree. Think greed about is good. think about telling him he's made enough. <laughs> you go knock on his door at his office. He's probably on the 80th floor. So you get in the elevator and go up to the 80th floor, knock on his door after you make it past his 12 secretaries and say, "Hey, buddy, you have a nice salary." He's gonna try to throw you out the window. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got me. You got me. Um, but I mean, what, I was, I was, I thought. Those salaries that they were talking about, and this was, you know, best part of ten years ago. I thought the police in general earned half that amount, 
um, so when they were saying you know, they're going into hundreds of thousands, this mm-hmm. is what you know guys in Silicon Valley um, are earning that kind that kind of sum of money. Uh, and I, I, when I heard that, I was like, good. You know, these 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 public servants, police, doctors, nurses, teachers. Mm-hmm. I feel that nurses and teachers get slighted in this. I, I wish the nurses and teachers. I'm sure nurses and teachers don't get paid anywhere near as much as the police do um, in, in, in Baltimore. But these guys who are, are public servants and um, are looking for the general for the greater good for everyone around them. Um, I think they need to be rewarded. And when I heard that, I was like, okay, the police seem to be re- rewarded. <laughs> you know, as you know, you know, another thing, another thing that we have to add to that to this conversation is the idea mm. of you don't. Most people don't choose cop because they want to look out for the greater good of people around them. They choose cop because that's the top option in their list of options. So they're not mm. doing it to be heroes. They're doing it because there's benefits, there's retirement, and there's unlimited overtime if you play your cards right. And I think we yeah. have, and I think once we realize that, then we're less surprised when we see scenes like the one you saw. You, you get people, because I know a lot of my friends from school um, went into the police force, and I don't think. Any of them, as a kid growing up, said I want to be a police officer. But you just, you, you know, you still get those, you still get those outliers who say, "Yeah, when I grow up, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a police officer. I want to, you know, I want to um, catch the bad guys." Um, so I agree with you to, uh, you know, a, a large extent there. Um, it's other, it tends to be other factors that does make it makes the police force more attractive um, as you grow up because you have that kind of support network that that public servants do tend to get more than private right and then and then and, and not to take everything from police officers but I will say that some of them feel like they do really good work and aren't fairly compensated for it and they feel like they deserve to be compensated more so what we would call overtime fraud they call getting what they feel like they deserve and mm-hmm. You know, uh, 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 and then it, and then it, and then it gets tricky. But there, there is a large segment of people who choose cop, um, because it's you know unfortunately the only choice that they have. So they choose yeah. it, and then they, and it doesn't take a lot of coercing for them to abuse it. Um, and this is this is this is what we see, and we end the city, you know. Um, and it start. It seems to start right out of you know when when you go through training, the academy, you're you know you're taught to do things right. But you know, and we're in the city. As soon as you come out of the training academy, first day on the beat, almost they say you know just rip that shit up. You know it's not going to work. This is how to do it real. Uh, this is how to do it properly. And it takes the odd. It seems I'm I'm not sure how true this is to life, but it it seems to be the odd officer who doesn't take the um, it doesn't take the the bribe or the extra extra bit. And look, that that kind of stuff's human, right? And, and if I was in that position, I was, you know, we, we saw her Herc and Carver in season one, mm-hmm. um, who are cops, and we, you know, in season one, certainly they're both a bit bumbling, bumbling idiots, aren't they? But they come across a, a drug bust. There's plenty of cash around. No one's going to miss it. They need to get a new car. They need to fix the car up. They need to new, get new windows. Hey, if I just take one of these piles of cash and put it in my in my um, in my in my vest, who's going to lose out? Uh, but then, so I, I I'd be very surprised if you know a large portion of the police force hadn't done that. But then to take it to the extremes that we have Wayne Jenkins and his crew, 
where they're actively seeking this out and actively have schemes <laughs> set aside to to do that, then that's that's a different. You know, I'm not sure where the line is, but that that feels different, right? Yeah, this guy Wayne Jenkins had a had a whole had a whole playbook. Um, mm. <laughs> he had a whole he had a whole he would wake up in the morning and jot down um, notes, and you know he had a he had grappling hooks, ski masks, hockey masks. Um, uniform. He had male people uniforms. He had like a whole, he had a whole operation going on, and was solely based on him feeling like he deserved to get more. <laughs> you know, I think the writers of the Wire, I think they they made an attempt to justify Hurricane Carver in a way because if you if you go back to season one. They make a drug bust and they found all of this money and the money they bring in didn't match what they heard on the wire. So Daniels thought they stole and they didn't steal it. Some of the cash fell out the bag and got caught like in the wheel well. So when they went through the car and found it, you know, Daniels, you know, talked to them like, you know, better don't do that no more. And they didn't do anything. So when they came across the drug bust again, they were just like, fuck it. I'm keeping it. <laughs> and they and they and they kept it and, and as long as as long as what's mass, as long as it tallies up yeah. they, they were gonna hand in what tallies up and I, I think i think the great thing the writers did with that was show that um and it's because this happens in the police force too and i think people don't pay attention to this enough but you can start off out of control and and be an idiot but you can grow into the position and I felt like Carver grew into the position. The Carver from season one was not Carver um, that was pissed off. Yeah, from season four and five, he wasn't. He wasn't the same guy. We got a. We we we, we got Herc was Herc was still a, a, an asshole. But Carver, but Carver got a chance. Carver got a chance to grow in, into that position. And I think um, we're living in a time right now where we we do have to learn how to give people grace and give people the room to grow and then give them their flowers when they, when they actually do. And I think that was just a brilliant piece of writing right there as, as well. I think that I, I love the, the kind of dual storylines that Herc and Carver, I, like I said at the start, Carver got a higher score in his silence exam. So you think, okay, so I'll, it's going to be Sergeant Carver. He's going to take point, but he was the one that didn't have the empathy. He didn't have the, the way of thinking. He maybe, you know, he didn't have the, the tutelage that um, Bunny, Bunny Colvin had and was able to give to to Carver and his guys. You know, you see um, McNulty, and you know as much as of a of a fuck at McNulty is is good police, and he knows which way is up. <laughs> Even though, you know, when it comes to season five, he's doing these things. He's making these fake murders because there's a there's a reason behind it. Is he wanted he wants to get the police more funds so they can do more things. So it's kind of a maligned, it's kind of a misplaced sense of justice, what he's doing. Um, but but where Herc kind of runs amok is that he almost doesn't care um, in places. You know, he makes up Fuzzy Dunlop and he's, he's running, he's, you know, he can't, he can't cover his tracks. He's got no one to back him up. Um, when he sees season five, when McNulty's going off the rails, Freeman backs him up. Freeman says, yeah, I know what you're doing. It's a bit, it's a bit wayward, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna back you up. Let's do this properly because I know where you're going with this. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this line of track, but I, I, I just like the, the, the way that Herc and Carver kind of split, 
and there's a lot of reasons when you, when you look back in it. I think there's there's a lot of reasons why that does happen, and it's an interesting storyline. It's just the storylines that we follow there. Coming coming from the street, coming you know, I've I, I sold, I was in the streets, I hustled in the streets for years, and um, I, 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 what I what I appreciated about anybody anybody who's coming out of the streets, especially in Baltimore, what we appreciate about the show is that idea everything that looks the same is not the same um the police officer that jam your pockets and take the 300 dollars from you um in 1998 could be a whole different cop in 2005 and will approach you different it will say a different thing it will move in in a different way and and he or she might have a partner that is even more extreme and would go completely the other way so it's like we don't have these 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 straight vanilla characters that all look and do the same thing it's it's diverse it's complex it's complicated and and it 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 hits on that idea of it not being good and bad professions it being good and bad people we i mean a a great example of that is um lieutenant daniels or major daniels as it gets to the towards the end of the of the show um and we we spoke to Lance Reddick early on in our podcast, and he said, "Look, he has he's got some dirt and he did some dodgy stuff, and it speaks to what you're saying there. Daniels, Daniels is almost like the best of them by the end of the season. Season, but we, if we'd caught Daniels, you know, five years before, ten years before, who knows what kind of character we would have seen um, going on the streets? Daniels is the one who knows how to cover the tracks when uh, Hurt Carver and Prez." go go wild in the in in the in the towers right mm-hmm. um he knows what he knows he knows how to do these things but also he knows how to play with ronda perlman and do the do the legit thing and, and follow the chain of command and climb the ladder um so this those nuances are human and exemplary to see in the in the show and you know for for david simon and the guys to say to to yourself d watkins we're doing the show we own the city talking about the real drug a gun trace task force will he come along and write an episode for us what was that like you know i thought i was i thought i was just coming in to consult i didn't think i was going to get an opportunity to to write an episode because um mm. i didn't you know D- david and george you know you know pelicanos, pelicanos george pelicanos is, is like one of the best novelists ever straight up mm. like you know he do his thing in television but George Pelicano is one of the best novelists, one of the best writers ever. David Simon's a certified genius. People already know his body of work. Um, his nonfiction books are, are, are the best I've, you know, some of the best I've ever read. So mm. I'm thinking I'm coming in to just learn from these guys. They, you know, they the OG. So I'm just, I got my pen and my pad, and I'm just taking notes because one day I want to be a. a, a as as good as a, a showrunner and a producer like David, I want to be as good as a writer, a storyteller, a, a, a producer, a showrunner like George. I want to learn from them. And mm. David's like, okay, you're gonna do number three, and like on like maybe like the second day, like you're gonna do number three, and I'm like, oh, bet. And then I, but I'm I never walked away from a challenge, so um, <laughs> I knew that um, I was gonna have to learn a style. And, and 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 get the tone um so I, I i watch i watch the deuce i rewatch the wire um mm-hmm. um I, I i i but i also was a, a lot of people don't know this but i'm one of the people who broke that case as it as it, i was a journalist 
And I'm one of the people yep. that I'm one of the people that broke the actual case on. Um, so you're working with Justin Fenton uh, before Fenton. Um, yeah. So Fenton was Fenton was with the Baltimore Sun. Fenton's yeah. with the Baltimore Sun, and Fenton Fenton covered these cops. But I covered the cop. I was the first one to cover the cop as being crooked. Mm. So Fenton might have covered it from um, a misconduct settlement that got paid out to a resident. But I'm in the community, like like profiling and featuring people who saying this cop steals, this cop takes money, this cop is a racist, this cop is. So I'm publishing those stories. So when David yeah. got in the room, so he <clears throat> David said, well. One of his reasons he wanted me to work on the show was because he already knew I was writing about this stuff since like 2013, 2014. So it wasn't brand new for me. So um, yeah. So that was like my affiliation with it. And then I think um, the new the new guys in in the writers room was um was Justin. They they um they optioned his book, and then it was me um as the person who had all of that early reporting, and it just made up for a good team. It sounds splendid, and I've you know speaking to David Simon uh, and hearing him talk about his kind of steps into writing TV, which was for um, Homicidal Life in the Streets, uh, the TV show, and you know him submitting his first script and then being written rewritten to like you know a fraction of what he'd written. What was what was it like for your you know the, the script that you submitted and and what you learned from the feedback you were given um, from that. What was that, that process like? No, I, I was. I thought it was gonna get gutted like crazy, but like George thought it was good. George thought I did really good. Um, um, George gave it a read, gave me notes. I went back and fixed it. George gave me some more notes. I went back and fixed it, and then um, it went to David. And David was like, "Did you, you know, did you cut loose as much as you wanted to cut loose?" And I'm like. You know, I'm not a cow. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a cowboy. You know what I mean? Like I. I like. A, um, I like. A, I'm. I'm a bit of a. You know, I write nonfiction, but I'm. I'm a. I'm a novelist too. So like a a a, a strong arc is extremely important to me. I don't. You know, I, I. I like to get to. I like to get there, with as little with minimal distractions. Um, especially writing for this new generation of people who watch television like this. If you watch me on the city, you can't watch me on the city and be on your phone. You gotta. I, I've been at screenings where people was on their phone, and I was like, I just had to walk out the room. Like I had to walk out the room, so I wouldn't say it's, anything. It's it's upsetting, D, when you see people on the phones in the cinema. Because for me, like for, for me, like the cinema is like a almost like a haven. Where I go in there to not be distracted. Absolutely. And if this some knobhead is next to me with their phone out, I'm like, why, why are you even here? <laughs> Why are you even, you've spent, in like central London, you're spending 20, 20 pounds, like 25, $30 to watch, watch this, watch this film. Right. Just put your phone away for like, for two hours. Just for two hours, it's, for two hours. Just, yeah. I can understand if you're there and you're expecting some, I don't know, your, your wife's maybe going to give birth. Have it, have it on so you can, you can take a call, but don't be out, you know, going on Twitter. <laughs> right. Right, <laughs> that that shit can definitely wait for, uh, you know, two hours. But I think uh, I, I um, think about that. I think about that. I think, and I know you know as as and as a I'm a I'm an artist, but I'm also like uh, humor. I, I'm a professor. I've been you know I've been I've been a college I've been a college professor for eight years now. I'm At a Baltimore I, University, I, right? Right, and I, I teach writing and. Um, and I'm and I, and I've saw I've been teaching long enough to see students who would give a book ten pages, you know, before mm. they decide to finish it or not. And I seen that number go down to three. 
So I know <laughs> the intention span is shrinking. So you have to be better. <laughs> you have to be better. So I, you know, I, I think about that a lot. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We in the city, and this is a great reason to talk to you about this, the, the writing style here. This is the first time I've seen a blown deadlines and uh, not just forming like a, a linear narrative, starting at A, going to B, to C, to E. They started at A, went to Z, go to G, go to A again. And if you're if you're not paying attention at all, then you're like, I, hold on, Wayne's suddenly got a beard now. Where's his beard gone like two minutes later? What's happening here? You've got Sean Suter, Suter storyline, which is like, if you're, not, if you're not paying attention, then you're completely lost. So, I mean, what was that like writing for that? Because that's 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 tough writing. <laughs> a, a single episode that's like bouncing around timeline, but also fitting the, the arc of the other six of the other five. It's 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 tough writing, but it's it's for me the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm. Juice is worth the squeeze because because um, <laughs> we're building we're building a case, but we're not building we're not necessarily using we're not we weren't necessarily using the police officers investigating the police officers to build the case in a in a super intentional way these guys weren't master you know they weren't master detectives they weren't master you know they weren't they didn't have the kind of brains to like like daniels and and the crew mm. and the wire these are these are these are different kind of guys who are just following the pieces and we just kind of wanted you to follow these guys as they stumble upon this this empire which was like um which is the same way you hit the public is the same way we wanted it to hit the viewers and that's that's what we that's what we, we tried to do and and, and 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 with that in mind um that's why we dropped so much you know, in episode one, that's why we show you that Jenkins goes down in episode one, and then we go mm. back and say, okay, so what made Jenkins Jenkins? And this is what made yeah. this is what made Jenkins Jenkins, and then this is the world that surrounded that. I mean, this is this is what you're talking about trying to humanize people um, that we we touched on a couple of times here. When Jenkins didn't turn up, even though you know, I'm not sure why he joined the police force, but he probably didn't think this opportunity would arise to you know to take money out of, out of uh, people's pockets as they're walking past and then hit them in the face. Um, <laughs> you know, he, 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 these opportunities were presented to him and then more and more getting presented to him. And it's interesting to see like Sean Suter, for example, these opportunities were presented to him and it looks like he turned away from that side of things, but always, always regretted the times they did, you know, six, you know, take some money. And that's ultimately kind of, Whichever way you looked at it, kind of met, was the reason he met his end. Um, you, you feel there's some kind of guilt within within Sean, um, but the way you've humanized people, 
not villainize. They've done that themselves, but you've you've kind of said, well, look, he just that's what happened. He, he he got beaten down by his friends for having the small crabs. You know, opportunities came around, and he thinks, well, I'll I'll just do that. I'll just take the ten k. I'll just take the twenty k, and then it becomes actually, if I can just stumble across these, there must be ways. There must be systems I can put in place. There must be playbooks. You know, uh, you know what a lot of people don't understand. <laughs> mm. It's rare for a police officer to see that kind of money and not take it. Mm. <laughs> People think it's the other way around. They think it's the other way around. They think it's rare for a guy to take it. No, it's rare for them to not take it. I, my whole life I was taught that to be in certain areas or to, or, or to come across certain people, you have to pay taxes. To cross that bridge, you got to pay a tax. And they were the tax, not the taxes for on groceries, not the taxes that go to the government for roads and streets, but they were uh, existence tax. You have to pay them. You have to pay them. And it's it's, it's normalized. I want to talk, um, get back onto the wire track now. Mm -hmm. So you wrote, so first, but before we go back, so you wrote episode three. Um, I was going to say it's a good episode. They're all great episodes. <laughs> um, and we see... Um, you know, when Jenkins is he's not he's not maybe at the height of his powers and Sean Suter's alongside him and Sean Suter's uh Sean Suter's a great and interesting character in this in this whole story, but Sean Suter's got he seems like natural police, uh, in the way that the other guys maybe aren't. Um, a bit more brains than brawn. And he sees the, the, the you know, the specially made table um as Wayne Jenkins is is hitting things up with a with a with a with a with not with a chainsaw, with a um with a blunt tool, baseball bat, whatever he can get his hands on. And Sean Suter just looks to the side at something and says, that's not right. That's weird, that table. And lo and behold, there's the you know, hundreds of thousands, 80, tens of thousands of dollars in there, which they just both, you know, takes them from. Um, I mean, you talk about the story, just that one scene in particular. What, what was that like building that scene up? Um, where had, what was the case? What was the... Um, the intelligence behind that scene in terms of the, in in the uh, in in the case um with it with the was there evidence before that scene specifically or was that something you kind of built together as like an example of what could go on no that happened that actually happened it happened um it was a car wash and the guy who owned the car wash was known to be a big a big time drug dealer and jenkins scoped this guy out and he knew it was money inside that car wash. He knew it was money inside that car wash. He knew that guy had a boat. He knew that guy was really, really known around West Baltimore for, for shaking and moving as far as drugs is concerned. And he wanted some. And him and Sean Suda, they 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 went on that mission. And um that was one of the that was one of the only scenes that I wrote that I had to rewrite multiple times because when I wrote the scene, I wrote it wild. Like I wrote Jenkins wild and like I wrote Jenkins going out of control and the lawyers was like, all right, you gotta, you gotta pull back. <laughs> you gotta. <laughs> so, you had, so, you had, so you had Pelicanos, you had Simon, David Simon and you had the law saying. Yeah, the lawyers. Yeah, you know, giving, giving you notes. The lawyers, <laughs> the lawyers was like, you gotta pull it back. And the crazy thing is that, again, John Bernthal was an excellent actor. Jamie Hector is excellent, excellent too. Jamie Hector is brilliant. Um, John Bernthal got this early version of my script. 
and he's calling me up like late night and we're on the phone talking it through talking it through talking it through and he's like but i want to do this can i do this and i'm like nah you should do that and he like no 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 i'm gonna do that and we're just really really talking it through and we're working it through and we, and we got it and then it gets to the chopping block and he was like this i i, I just he like i don't want to disrespect you i don't disrespect the team peace and love brother that's the kind of guy john is hey <laughs> he's peace and love brother but you know i like how we had it i want to take it back to what we had and i'm like yeah, man, but they not going to let us get sued, man. They going to protect us. They going to protect <laughs> us from getting sued, man. Like we yeah. we work to we work we work we work horses, John. We don't have time to go to court, man. We don't have time to be sitting down with lawyers, man. So let's just you know, let's figure out how to make it um how to make it what we can what we can, you know, how how we can do it. Um but yeah, that was that was that was a real scene. That that actually happened. Um as everything else in the show, everything else in the show happened. Like these things are right from court records, um, court records, court documents, victim impact statements. Um, some of the guys caught up in the case, some of the, on the criminal side, you know, I, I, I got to them in jail. I wrote them and I reached out to people on the street to talk to them on the phone so I can know what actually happened the way from their perspective. Cause I wanted to be, I wanted to be as, as authentic as possible. Well, let's get on to the case of the book. As, as this episode goes out, um, you, the Why Retrospective book, which you've written, comes out uh, towards the end of November. Um, and tell us about you know, that, what, what's happened, how did that come about, what can we expect, uh, and how can we get hold of that and Black Boy Smile and all your other books as well? Yeah, every, all of my books are, are available. Um... In the states, they're available everywhere. Books are sold. In the UK, I imagine you can get everything from Amazon. Um, but if your local bookstore doesn't carry them, then you know you put some pressure on them. <laughs> but <laughs> but but the wire the the wire book was it was I, I didn't know it was coming. Um, uh, they had a guy working on it um, for for a nice amount of time, and and from what I'm hearing, he didn't he didn't submit some things that everybody involved was comfortable with so they they gave me a shot and you know like i said at the top of the podcast i've watched the wire more than most people i'm a huge fan of the brand i'm a huge fan of, of the characters the people the writers the whole team like nina has, has like been brilliant um even richard price people don't give richard price enough credit for working on the show richard price who who wrote the book clockers um is a brilliant writer um all of these all of these people george and everybody so when i got an opportunity to to just lock in and and and, and put my own little perspective on it i was extremely happy the team liked what i submitted initially i didn't have i didn't have a year or so like the other person i only had like a couple of weeks but <laughs> but but that's i mean that's I, i've i've been charged with the task of writing like 60 and seventy thousand word books in like under a month before so writing whatever 10,000 words or whatever it was is on top of like what I wrote to go along with some of the images wasn't it wasn't a heavy lift for me well good I'm glad you enjoyed it um so but what can we expect when it comes out what's what kind of form of book is it um it's an art book so it's, it'll look really really mm. beautiful on your coffee table and you will be able to see never never before seen interviews never before seen perspective um never seen uh never before seen images um 
um, from behind the sets. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift for anyone who who, who likes The Wire. Uh, people who love The Wire are going to try to be your best friend. The people who like it, it'll probably be like the best gift they got all year. I think we, um, we're going to try and do a competition to uh, give away one of these books um, for people when it comes out live. So guys, if you're not on our social media already, um, we're at The Wire Stripped on Instagram and, and Twitter. And that's where we'll that's where we'll let you know about these uh, the book going live. Hopefully, with D being able to sign uh, to sign it. Absol- absolutely, um, and then you, and you you got connect. You know, Laura, make it make it five books. Tell Laura send five books over. Yeah. You know, tell her send five. <laughs> Let's give away five books. <laughs> Let's make it a party. Let's make it a party. <laughs> um. So, tell me about your some of your favorites themes seasons scenes actors people whatever about about the why how many you know in the in the multiple times you've watched it what if someone says the why what comes to your mind like straight away and you can spoil anything i'm so tore i'm so tore because because season one was so different season one was so different and um i I grew up in a building um east baltimore not west baltimore but it looks looks just like what they call the towers housing projects and it just it was nostalgia for me watching it um then my my good friend my really really good friend andre Poole, um who's silk played in season one he was the and this is a guy i grew up under who used to like who like taught me how to play basketball he was the guy in the basketball game who they brung in right. yeah he was the ringer who they brung in to like um when east baltimore beat west baltimore so like that was like that was like a like a big moment when i found out silk did that um season four might be my favorite of, of, of all time season four they was just on another level the writing the acting you know um but then I love season three as well. It's just such a, I also, you know, uh, and unpopular to a lot, but I love season two. Season two was good. Like season two was like extremely important just to show like how these things make it into the city, how there's a whole other Baltimore that doesn't make it into the conversation and, 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 and how, you know, how, how diverse and, um, and how wide this argument is. So I'm the worst person to ask that question. But if I had to pick one, I'll, I'll say season four because the school system is a lot. It's a lot. We have in Baltimore right now, we started this year with a shortage of about 800 teachers. So the stuff you see, so the stuff people seen over over a decade ago is still going on right now. It's still happening right now. And Wire held a mirror up to how ugly society is. And it created a lot of change makers, but then at the same time, it also um, it also um, it made a whole lot of people run. <laughs> and, and we and that's what great art does. Great art creates change, or it makes it makes the it makes people run. And, and we got to continue to create great art. I think um, yeah, it's hard. It's always, <laughs> it is always a hard question. Season two, you you brought on there. My my theory, of season two is. People who don't like season two have only seen The Wire once. Um, and they've gone, season two is a bit strange. But then on that revisit, and I was one of those people, but on that revisit, that's when people say, oh, I get it now. I get how season two is important to link to the rest of you know The Wire on that on that second time. It was good. It was good. It was real good, man. The, the way I think, the way um, Avon set the cop up, I think that was in season two. That was good, man. That was good. <laughs> when he set the cop up. When he set the cop up, that was good. 
uh, the CEO. He set um, up. A, he set up the CEO. That's how he was free. He got free. The officer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got yeah. free because he set the correctional officer up. That was that was good writing. It's been a pleasure to um, you know hear about how the wires probably positively affected you more than anyone else in the world. I'd say. Yeah, um, absolutely. I work with them now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These guys are your friends. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can people find you online, D? Um, at D Watkins World on all social media. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. Peace. Right. So that is a, that's the, takes us to the end of this episode. That was a great interview. Um, and uh, Kobe mentioned up top that uh, we will be giving away some signed copies of that book. Just as a reminder, it's The Wire, the complete visual history so if you uh, head over to our social pages uh, we're going to have the details up there on how to enter so that's at the wire stripped on twitter and instagram that's right yeah and also do look out for d watkins go to amazon type his name in d as in letter d watkins because he's got some other books as well and hey why not buy them as well buy all his, buy all his books buy oh, loads yeah. of books exactly <laughs> You just heard a stripped media production.